I think the most fascinating thing to me on the planet that I don't hear really anybody talk about is I have the ability to impact the way he feels. Am I still filthy or am I clean? Revival for years has been an announcement that you're filthy, come and get right with God. That's not a biblical statement. You can't get right with God. That's why God had to become a man, because God made you right with God. We believe Jesus died for all, but when you start thinking Jesus died for me, you'll never have an issue of self-worth again. When authority is done right, we'll see God-centered churches fill the earth. When mm -hmm. authority is done wrong, you'll see man-centered churches fill the earth. And that's the biggest problem we have today is I see more about the man, I see his name, and I see his brand that he's built more than I've seen Jesus. And to be honest with you, I don't even hear them talking about Jesus when they preach. And there's only two types of ministry, according to Ezekiel 44, those in his chamber and those on the outer court. And I think we've settled for the outer court ministry because that's where the people are. Chamber though, that's a minute, that's a lonely ministry, but you're saying, God, you are enough. Today we got William Han on. So thank you for coming on, brother. We appreciate Super you. Honor to be with you guys. No, yeah. yeah, it's our honor, man. We are so like, we're just psyched how, you know, you're so, we just love your heart cry, man. Yeah. So. Thanks, man. And uh, I love what you guys are doing. It's amazing to see how the Lord's using it. It's exciting. I appreciate that. Yeah. It's been um, fun. So just kick it off, bro. To be honest, he knows more about you than I know about you. Yeah. Other than social media, um, I've been following you for a while. Just give us like who you are, kind of your backstory. You can go into how you came to know the Lord. Just just who is William Hinn? Yeah. Just kind of go into it. Yeah. Uh, well, I won't give you the whole story because it would take up the whole podcast. For sure. Um, but I grew up um, a pastor's kid. My mom and dad both have pastored for 30 plus years. Um, so definitely grew up around church. And then I have an uncle uh, by the name of Benny Hinn, who the Lord has used greatly throughout over the world. Uh, but growing up in a dynamic where you've got full-time local church and then you watch stadiums filled and people have all kinds of opinions about Benny and stuff. It, w it was interesting for sure growing up. I definitely, um, I encountered the Lord at 10 years old. I gave my life to him through a tangible encounter. Um, I remember I was playing, I was in children's church playing dodgeball. And, uh, you know, at that, at that time in my life, you know, you just go to church because your parents, you know, bring you to church. And I remember these ushers came running in the room. They said, your dad's asking for you. He was ministering in the Lord, uh, spoke to him to have um, the youngest of four kids. So he had us all come out. He said, the Lord, you know, spoke to me to pray over you guys. So he prays over us. I remember, you know, 10 year olds, they can't fake it. You know, kids, they don't, there's no courtesy falls with kids, you know? So um, I remember my dad laying hands on me and kind of just declaring purpose and destiny and stuff. And, um, and all I remember is coming to it and I was crying and I didn't know why. And I was on the ground and my mom was like, are you okay? And so it was so confusing to me, yet at the same time, it was like there was something in me that knew, that connected with it. And so I went home that night, gave, I, I'll never forget giving my life to the Lord that night. And it was, at times I feel like at 10 years old, God was more real to me than at times today. You know, there was no, there was nothing in there. There was no like religion. There was nothing hindering me fully experiencing God. Mm -hmm. And so, um, so yeah, I, I, I grew up tangibly in a sense, knowing the Lord um, and no one could talk me out of that because I had experienced it. Um, I saw, you know, tumors fall off people's necks growing up and, um, and people getting up out of wheelchairs, all kinds of stuff. So seeing that when you're little, like miracles and all the things, it was, it was, it was normal. It was kind of like a part of 
just who we were in life. However, I grew up not really wanting to be in, uh, in ministry. I would tell my dad, I'm never going to preach. I'm never going to have a church. He'd be like, okay, son, you know, uh, <laughs> he was right. Um, but all that to be said, I had kind of these moment, these significant moments and experiences in my life that, that led me to where I am today. But yeah, really interesting upbringing. Um, my uncle and of course my dad have played a massive part in kind of what we're experiencing today and what we're stepping into, but all the things I said I would never do, I'm currently doing. And I can only say, um, it's by the grace of God. I feel like I fumbled my way into having a church. Never thought I, when we started Resonation, we were just a hungry group of young people. We'd gather in coffee shops and, um, and like 10 slowly became a hundred and then a hundred, 200. And it just kind of kept building into this wild community. And in a way this still feels like a, just a giant coffee shop full of hungry people. So, um, <laughs> it really is. Yeah. So it's amazing what, uh, what the Lord has done. But like I said, I, I've seen too much to, uh, to go anywhere else and do anything else. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. I mean, you talk about these life experiences early on. Talk about, you brought up your uncle Benny. Was there anything, it was real vague. Was there anything like impactful, like a moment you, cause you share stories. I've watched some of your sermons. You share some impactful moments, but share one with us that you just remember yeah. was impactful for you. I was eight years old. This one I remember so clearly. And we were at the pond in Anaheim, California. So it was where the, I think the ducks played um, back in the day. And there's 20,000 people in this arena and I'm kind of sitting off, off in this section. I'll never forget my brother. Who's my older brother who's our associate pastor here at the church, him and his, and my cousin were sitting next to each other and they're legit talking about a girl. Like they're, they're like looking at this girl and they're like joking around and stuff. Not, and none of us are like paying attention to service. So my brother was three years older than me. So he'd have been like 11. Um, and so, you know, they're just starting to like discover themselves and, and like, they like girls. And so they're like not really paying attention. And my uncle is doing his thing. And like I said, growing up in it, you know, it kind of just becomes like background noise. And that's the, that's, that's what I got lost in when I got older and had to kind of come back to first love is, you know, when you're around it and, um, you, you become familiar with his presence and don't have the fear of God in your life, uh, you, you really quickly drift away from him. And so, Mm -hmm. um, so all that to be said, it was kind of just normal to us. So we're not paying attention. And my uncle looks at our section and goes, um, how many of you want to experience or encounter the Lord's presence? And everyone's like, yeah. And again, we're still not paying attention. So he asks the Lord to like, would you just touch that section? And bro, no joke. I And this is what people have always come against. I, got, I grew up in, high, in a high school where it was like a Christian school, but Baptist and, and they would like throw jackets at me and say fire on you and stuff. And if you know, you know, um, you just YouTube band, but so like my brother and I would get in fights in high school about this stuff, you know, before we knew the Lord. And, uh, but all that to be said, I'll never forget seeing like a wave of people coming up. And I was like, uh, we're not going to fall. We're not gonna fall. <laughs> and bro, it was like something hits you from the back of your feet. And in a matter of five seconds, I look over and my brother and my cousin are on top of each other, both weeping, crying. And two seconds ago, they're talking. And it was like, when you experience that as a kid, you're just, there, there's no, like, you can't tell me that God doesn't want to touch us in that way. And so even in the scriptures, you find it, 
you know, by the laying on hands, they imparted the Holy Spirit. The sorcerer had to have seen something to want to offer money for it, you know? Yeah. Um, even in the book of John, when they come to get Jesus in the garden, uh, they say, are you Jesus of Nazareth? And he says, and people miss this. He says, I am he in the book of John. And when he says it, the whole militia falls back. Mm. And no one talks about that. Like, I'm like, first of all, why did they fall back? And what's crazy is they got up and still arrested him and took him away. Yeah, that, that does That's crazy to me, mm. you know? But the power of God, if John fell like a dead man, um, how dare we ever think that when the glory of the Lord is there, that we're just gonna stand tall, you know? So um, that was a really significant moment that I remember eight years old that just, it definitely marked my heart in a way of God is big and I'm small and he can do whatever he wants, you know? That's one thing I've, I've grown in understanding that experience is the only thing that drew me to Christ. And I've talked about it on other podcasts, but I mean, I went to God just because he can make me feel good. Like I was experiencing anxiety and I knew he was a healer and I knew he was an option mm. for that people go to for healing. He met me there. Wow. And then, Oh, he died on the cross for my sins and he resurrected from the dead. And he's, he's, uh, he's, he's sitting right now at the right hand of the father. This, you know, the revelations came after the healing and so, good. but like for a while I, ne I neglected the experience. You know? mm. I, I thought, I thought, I thought my way into Christ. Yeah. I thought my way into salvation, but it's not till the last year or so yeah. where I've really came to that conclusion that no, it was experience brother yeah. that, yeah. that got you there. Yeah. But well, no, yeah. I, so I think that was a good leeway into something I want to talk about. And basically I just want to, I'm going to say a statement and then I'll let you like take it apart be like, Hey, you're wrong. You're right. Okay. That's so what we do here we go. Let's, do so, it. Let's get into it. I believe the cure to anxiety, depression, is a revelation of the fullness of Jesus Christ. Come on, yeah. And I believe that that is 100%, you know, you think of Adam and Eve in the garden, you know, depression, anxiety, they, it didn't exist then because there was no self-awareness, right? There was no, they weren't able to see until they sinned. Then self-awareness came, mm. right? Then it was like, oh, I'm not, I don't want to have your clothes on. And so I think that for me, I've just seen you know, so much happened and, and, and I just want to believe that because for me, I, I experienced the same things. I experienced the depression, I experienced the anxiety, whatever. And it's so prevalent in this generation. And I just, I know that what set me free was just knowing how the fullness of Jesus and just taking my eyes off of me and putting my eyes on him. Yeah. So unpack yeah. that if you agree. It was beautifully said. Okay, cool. Um, Yeah. Okay, cool. Like the, the affirmation, yeah. Great job. No, <laughs> I uh, no, but I. The first thing I think we have to understand is is that I know that it that it's simple, but I think many people miss it. That right. he's a person, and he's still a person. The Holy Spirit is not a mist. He's not a figment of our imagination. He's a person, and I think in many ways in the West we've turned the presence of the Lord into a thing rather than Him. The word presence literally is translated face. Amen. So when we're experiencing God's presence, we're not experiencing an, what he gives off. Like we're not experiencing an aura. We, we're experiencing <laughs> the actual manifestation of his person through the Holy Spirit being among us. So it puts it in perspective that we don't, Jesus didn't come to start a religion. You know, he came to multiply himself through people. Yeah. And so there's no other way to come into an experience 
outside of the actual experience of the personification of Jesus Christ. Amen. So it says the disciples, when they're witnessing, they said, him who we have seen, heard, and handled with our hands. Mm -hmm. It's him we witness of. In other words, it's outside of that experience that they identified as senses, they have no witness. It's what causes us to talk people into the gospel. But if you can be talked into the gospel, you probably can be talked out of it. Okay. But when you experience Jesus into the gospel, when you were a drug addict or an alcoholic, or you were stuck on pornography, and all of a sudden you had this encounter with this real person that you can't explain, you can't understand, and all of a sudden the temptation isn't there anymore. The, the I used to be a drug addict and I'm not. I used to be an alcoholic and I'm not. I used to be stuck on pornography. I used to be depressed. And all of a sudden something supernatural happened and I'm Amen. no longer desiring these things the same way I did. Amen. You can't talk somebody out of that. That's why good. the kingdom of God doesn't come and talk, yeah. but in power, the scriptures say. That's good. So, the book of Ephesians also says that we may comprehend with all the saints what is the width, the length, the height, the depth to know the love of God that surpasses knowledge. That word knowledge in Greek literally is translated science. So I often say if we don't encounter God beyond what science can explain, then we might just know him in theory and he might just become a philosophy. He might just become uh, yeah. like another religion and someone we come and we come to with all of our problems, but really we don't believe that he can take care of them. Um, but we have to understand that he's a real person. Like if I am the bride of Christ, I have real intimate knowledge of my wife, real intimate knowledge, more than she has access to me, my own kids don't have. Like no one knows me like my wife knows me. And this is what God chose to call us was his bride. So if there's not intimate experience, how dead are we? And, and, mm -hmm. and unknowing of this God who wants to bring us into an encounter with him. Now, you may not shake and scream and cry all the time. It's not about that. I mean, I think one of the greatest things is you used to be depressed and you're not depressed anymore. Amen. And that is an incredible experience. Amen. You know? Yeah. I, I had a, you know, and I had similar experience even with, you know, addiction to pornography. Um, you know, a couple of years back whenever I, I really started to encounter God and, and know him, I began to notice that I'd go to turn on my phone and I, I, there was no, I didn't even understand conviction. I didn't understand the do's and don'ts. Like I'd grown up in the church, but I had been so far off for so long. I forgot. And literally I'd go to turn on and be like, well, if God's watching me, this feels weird. <laughs> this feels really weird. Like, yeah. cause I know God's here and he sees me right now. I would literally have this conversation in my mind. I'm like, I can't do this. Yeah. And I just, and truth be told for at time, I did it for a couple of weeks. I, I was still doing it. I was just feeling horrible. I was just awful about myself, you know, which isn't from the Lord. It was just my view of how God was seeing me, you know, but goodness gracious, it's crazy to think that just believing God is in the room with you can completely change your life. Yeah. I, you know, I hadn't even, which isn't right. I hadn't even read the Bible at that time. I hadn't even, but the conviction of God was even stronger than what I, you know, any, um, what's it, any effort I had ever given before to trying to stop, you know, to trying to stop drinking, trying to stop doing these things, all that effort, it was in vain, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, the, uh, it's, a, it's almost a childlike understanding of the presence of God. If he's in the room, things change. Yeah. It's a very elementary understanding before I even, thou shall not do whatever um but what i want to talk about next 
is you talked about the Holy Spirit's a person, understanding his presence. It's kind of all in what we're talking about. Now talk about, when you say, like people talk about, he comes and he goes. This idea, like when we, like in worship and in prayer, we say, like, like come rest on us is a famous, is a famous song. Come rest on us. Um, just talk about the idea of experiencing him and not experiencing him because God is omnipresent. God the Father, he's everywhere, all-knowing yeah. and everything. But at the same time, we experience tangible things and we don't experience tangible things on a, yeah. on a I mean, on come, a come rest on us is theologically incorrect. <laughs> well, hey, I, this is what I'm we're just, asking, brother. Just being honest. But anyway, go ahead. <laughs> I, I think we're sometimes playing a game of hide-and-seek with God that he didn't start. Yeah. And um, the scriptures say that he never leaves us, he never forsakes us. So if I'm the temple of the Holy Spirit, where is he coming from and where is he going to? So here's what here's what we pursue is uh, the scriptures talk about an anointing that abides in us and teaches us all things. So if I'm the temple of the Holy Spirit and the scriptures tell me to abide in him, then there's the individual experience that actually should be constant and has nothing to do with feelings. I feel like in a way we have so exalted feelings in the church that feelings have become its own religion. And really what it is, is itself, you know? Mm -hmm. um, but there's something that goes beyond feelings. It's the difference between Shekinah glory and doxa glory. In the Old Testament, the word glory is always described as Shekinah. It's the one you can see, it's glorious. It's, it's something that is visible. When Jesus said in John 17, Father, the glory you've given me, I have given them. That word doxa is inward excellence is what it means. Like yeah. it's, it's I'm going to give them something that the world may not see visibly, but they're going to become what I long for them to become. And so I think experientially, it's, it's individually, it's a constant experience that that is changing the way that we think. It's not just changing how we, yeah. you know, it's not just having, I'm not walking, like I don't walk into the grocery store screaming in tongues all the time and crying. Like I would just yeah. be, that would just be weird. And I right. think we have a lot of weird Christians, no offense. Um, but I walk in the store with the literal Christ in me is the hope of glory. And that word hope means confident expectation. So Christ in me is the confident expectation that no matter where I am, I am one with him. Yeah. Believing that creates an experience, not just chills and goosebumps and tears, but an experience of thinking that yeah. causes me to live a certain way, to do certain things that is nothing of the world. That's an experience. Now, if we're talking about corporate rooms and the experience of God's presence, right? There's, we're, we're, we're looking at a sanctuary, right? Mm -hmm. Right now you go in that sanctuary, nothing's going on. There's something about the temple, us individually, living stone upon living stone going into rooms to exalt and minister God together yeah. that we all would say causes the air to feel different. Amen. Right? Now, the key is, is he's not coming down, he's coming out. So if I'm the temple of the Holy Spirit, the, the incense that they would lay at the altar of incense and the cloud, it, it would, they would, there was this connection between the temple and between the Lord and the barometer of success wasn't how many people were here. It wasn't how the people responded. The barometer was, did the cloud come? So I believe he does come in unusual ways in rooms of worship where, I mean, this, this past Sunday, like we, 
at the end of service, they went into this song and it was like the room is shaking. Like God is, is present in a way that, that I'm experiencing that goes beyond something I experience alone because there's anointing and there's power when we come together as the temple of the Holy Spirit, living stone upon living stone, it creates something in a room, right? But the key is, is he's not floating around deciding, (laughs) wow, they sound really good. They, these are some incredible, I'm gonna go and visit them. I don't want visitation. I want habitation. Like I want God to live and dwell in me on a constant basis. And when I worship him, he bubbles out of people. And Mm -hmm. that's what we, that Jesus said, when you worship me, worship me in spirit and in truth. And I think we're very sincere. I think we've got a lot of zeal, but we add just enough legalism in there to not really believe the truth that God actually comes out of me, that God actually wants to manifest himself out of me. So it's really why, you know, you can go into a room and start singing, I exalt thee. And when people join in, something happens in the room Mm -hmm. because that which is in me and that which is in you just got magnified. That's what it means. We magnify the Lord. And so again, I don't think it's this, like he's just playing hide and seek with me. And I, and so again- We're not begging him to show up. No, no, I I actually think he, the scriptures say what you bind, heaven will bind. What you loose, heaven will lose. So we're Mm. waiting for heaven to come and heaven is waiting for us. Like I think in many ways, we think the kingdom of God is like, the 82nd Airborne Division. We want him to just drop out of the sky. But the Bible says that the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed, which if Christ in me, it says in in the book of John that I'm born of God and his seed remains in me. So if the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed, Luke 17 says the kingdom doesn't come by observation, but it's within us. Mm -hmm. Then when I worship, that seed is beginning to grow and it's beginning to fill the earth with his glory. And so there's... I think because we don't understand the truth or we just don't believe that he really dwells in us. We have these seasons of feeling like we're distant from God or, you know, like I feel like I'm in a wilderness, but maybe you walked there, you know, like the children mm-hmm. of Israel, they walked themselves in a circle for 40 years. Like it, it was not, it was a 40 day walk, you know? And so <laughs> yeah. um, I just think we put ourselves in these situations based on truth because we exalt feelings above truth. Amen. But when truth is 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 there and it's um you realize like what happens in that room is based on what what I my minister to the Lord and my worship to God it's actually creating something Amen. in a room. Yeah, I mean I think it's a struggle to look at ourselves as extensions of Christ, right? I think that that's um really where you see that come to play that you know the issues with um you know, it's by grace through faith, right? So if you don't look at yourselves as that extension, well, yes, the manifestations are going to be different, yeah. right? Because he's ever present, absolutely. But he calls, the, you know, we're, it's uh, the earth is growing for the manifestations of the sons of God, right? And it's, it's those people that know that they're sons and know that they're extensions of the Lord that the manifestations come. Let's just yeah. be real. Well, you just said, kind of struck a chord with me, the... Uh if we're the temple of the Holy Spirit, I mean, we're, I mean, I'm saying if we're a temple and God dwells within us, and in the corporate gathering, there's a lot of temples. God's dwelling in all these people, and then we're magnifying and ministering to the Lord. It's a pretty impactful statement you just made. That just kind of struck with me. But um, do do we? This is kind of getting to where the video. I want to ask you: um, Do we have? Do individuals have the ability to miss out on aspects of God? 
I just want to leave it broad. And yeah. I mean, of course. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, it is a very, that is a very broad question, but, um, Luke seven says, or I'm sorry, Acts seven says that David fulfilled all the will of God in his life, which implies that you can go through life, not fulfilling the will of God. Yeah. And it, mm-hmm. and again, it goes back to identity. It goes back to, because we've turned this into a religion rather than a relationship, we go through traditional motions and when the Lord wants to actually come into an experiential encounter daily with us. Um, but I absolutely believe that we can miss aspects of God. I, I think the most fascinating thing to me on the planet that I don't hear really anybody talk about is I have the ability to impact the way he feels. Like if, if yeah. I can, if we can grieve the Holy Spirit, he says, thou shall not grieve the Holy Spirit. If Enoch, I love the passion. Remember when, you know, Enoch, it says he lived with God and then he was not like the Lord just mm-hmm. took him because the passion says that, that, uh, that Enoch's life became a pleasure to the Lord. It's what it's translated. His life was such a pleasure to God. He needed, he couldn't have him here anymore. Like that's fascinating to me but there's if the word grieve it means to cause pain emotionally or physically so you're telling me that i can cause god to feel something that could grieve his heart and cause him pain well that's what the word grieve means well no god doesn't he doesn't need anything from us i don't i don't believe he needs anything from us but i do think he wants something from us and so there's this aspect of of course i can miss things in god if i can affect the way god feels surely I can affect the will of God on my life. An aspect that has wrecked me for the last year has the centurion's faith made Jesus marvel. Yeah, it's so and true. And even there's only, I think, correct me, I don't know if this is a factual statement, but I, don't, I think there's only two times Jesus marveled it's at true. something. And then, but you even say, like when um, they lowered the paralytic through the roof, I think he made a similar statement, like, like he was more, he didn't say Marvel, but he was still responding to their faith. He does this all the time in scripture. And it's just, it's wrecked me because I mean, for a while I just sit in this thing that it's, it, all it is, is God's doing all the work. And I have, I don't, it's, I never once came to a realization that there was nothing required of me, but I was missing out on, I guess the word would be intimacy with God, experiencing God. And, and I think a lot of people, we look at sanctification as like a lot of people like use sanctification as a good thing. But you look at miracles, um, healings, just emotional experiences. Sometimes we look at that with less um, awe as sanctification, but they all come from the same place and they all come from in- intimacy. Yeah. But we look at them different because they're both fruits of intimacy. But we'll look with one of like, oh, we got to be careful with them heal the miracles and emotional experiences, but we don't got to be careful with sanctification. I don't know. Does yeah. that make sense? No, Correct me if sure. I'm wrong. I mean, again, people preach against stuff they don't understand. Yeah. And so you got to ask yourself the question. This is all rooted in who believing who we are in Christ, because mm-hmm. what made Jesus marvel wasn't necessarily the centurion's faith. Although he said, I haven't seen faith like this in Israel, but the thought behind the faith was I understand authority right? He said, you don't need to come to my house. He said, yeah. "He said, I, I'm a man who understands authority. I have men under me. I say, go, they go. I have, I have men above me. They say, go, I go. And Jesus takes a step back. He says, and he, and he identifies faith as one who understands authority, right? So 
if faith is identified there as making Jesus marvel because of authority, then there is this aspect that we may not see all that we want to see. We may miss aspects of God because we have become people that just want God to come and do it for us, even though the scriptures say that he has given us all things pertaining to life and godliness. Mm -hmm. He said, you lay your hands on the sick, the sick will recover, right? But we're still begging Jesus. Like we're still, we're, we become so needy. And I'm not saying we don't need him. People will probably make YouTube videos about this. I'm not saying that you don't need him. Of course you need him. I think the greatest aspect of worship is dependency on him. But you have to understand he has become one with us. He comes through our hand. And so I think because we aren't willing to step into the authority God's actually called us to live in and dwell in, again, which goes back to Christ is in me. And he's the confident expectation that the glory of God is going to be manifested through my life. That's what that means. If the scriptures say, as he is, so are we in this world. It doesn't say as he is, so are we one day when we die and go to heaven. It says, as he is, which is now, so are we in this world. I'm living in this world right now, which means that I've been given the opportunity to be as he is. And I think it's that understanding of, listen, I don't. you just speak the word. I don't even need you to come to my house. Just speak the word. And because I know authority and understand it, I believe he'll be healed. It was his understanding of the authority that caused God to step back and go, wow. And so I just, again, I think we have an identity crisis in church, especially in the West. And it's causing this, am I a sinner? Am I not a sinner? And the Bible says a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. And so am I, am I still filthy or am I clean? Revival for years has been an announcement that you're filthy, come and get right with God. But that's, that's not a biblical statement. You can't get right with God. That's why God had to become a man because God made you right with God. Mm-hmm. And so you literally come into God's righteousness, not by your own authority, not by your own strength. You didn't earn it. But he says to the Galatians, he says, who's bewitched you? You who started in grace have gone back to the works of the law. Right. And so all, if you just come down to like the seed of everything we're saying, it's coming to this one place of because we don't actually believe, we believe Jesus died for all. But when you start thinking Jesus died for me, you'll never have an issue of self-worth again. And we're not seeing power. We're not seeing miracles. We're not seeing what we want to see because we have a wrong theology and idea about God. Mm-hmm. But when we have the right idea about God and that God himself became a man said, I'm going to go sit at the right hand of the father and I'm going to come back to you. And the Holy Spirit is going to make his home inside of you. And he's the spirit of truth. He is me, the spirit from the father. Then, then why, why do we ever question that I'm not a part of this story in some way? You know, like I get it. It's all about Jesus, but he's the volume of the whole book. So if I'm talking about prayer, I'm talking about Jesus, right? right? But the whole book, the whole story is about a lamb and the lamb's wife. And I think we've tried to write ourselves out of the story in the name of humility, but really it's false humility and it's religion that's keeping us from fully experiencing what God has for us. And I think we are absolutely missing aspects of God because God said, I'm gonna be the head, you're gonna be the body. If I stub my toe, my whole body limps. And it's a daunting idea to think that Ephesians 4 says, until we all come to the unity of the faith into the knowledge of the perfect man. Like we are all becoming one because we are his body. And what does he say? And the government will be upon his shoulders. So if I'm, and this might offend people, 
but it's in the scriptures. If I am God's authority in the earth, then of course we're missing aspects of God if we never take our authority. Amen. You're preaching, man. Come on. Um, I had two things. On go for that. it. Um, the first thing I was just going to ask is like being a father, you know, I think, and that's so important to this generation is having fathers. And I believe that you're definitely a father. You know, you're young for being, a, you know, the influence that you have and being a pastor, but you have, you carry the father's heart. And I think it's from your dad, right? He did such an amazing job and of fathering you that I think that you're carrying the, the, that anointing to, to be, to father this generation, you know? Um, and so, yeah, I would just say, what would you say to, uh, people on how they should, you know, the most important things of being a father, the most important things of being fathered? Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, man. I appreciate that. <laughs> um, no, I, I think we definitely have a fatherless problem. I mean, that's not just in the church, that's in society. I could sit here and go through statistics about how scary it is when fathers aren't present. Um, you know, Paul came along and he said, we have 10,000 teachers, but few fathers. That word teachers means boy leaders. We have thousands and thousands of boy leaders, which, which implies they're not really leading for them. They're leading for themselves. Um, but few fathers and the implication of the father of having of being a father is that you don't live for yourself. You live for everybody you sit at the table with. My, my kids never think about bills in their life. All they do is take from me. That's all they do. I mean, they're toddlers, but they, they don't know anything else other than I, I am a picture of constant provision to them. As, as, as far as That's they good. know, we are rich. Like they think that money <laughs> grows on trees and I don't, I, I don't, they don't even understand me explaining to them that I have to go to work. I got it. But to them, I am safety and I'm provision. Right. And it's, and it's all the picture of the father, but this is also to how I, I grew up with a very present father. Of course, my, my mom too. But I think what we miss a lot in scriptures is Malachi 4, the whole old covenant ends with this one thing. I'm going to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, the hearts of the children to the fathers. That environment was what was conducive for Jesus to come. And I think it's still the same environment of I'm going to create a, a father and a son relationship on the earth that mirrors the father and son relationship in heaven. And when that's on the earth, I will come. Amen. And I really feel like we we again, especially in our generation, especially in the young people, we have this man like lone wolf mentality. Like I'm anointed all on my own and we're not accountable to anything. We just go from thing to thing, conference to conference. And, and honestly, I think a lot of that is just, we're hungry, but, but until we have seated present fathers leading families, what we're going to continue to have is a bunch of leaders, no offense, building movements, building things that are man-centered and not God-centered. Right. So because authority has been abused in the church, when people hear fathers, they think control. Right. But when you've been fathered correctly, you actually go further than your father. My dad had a church of about you know 30 people in Texas. And um, I, was, I was working for Todd at the time and, and I was traveling in Portugal. We had had resignation going on. Pastor Gerardo was like holding a fort down in his coffee shops. <laughs> <laughs> and on my way back from Portugal, this pastor's taking me to the airport and he looks at me and he goes, you know, if you were a pastor, it'd be revolutionary. And I was like, thanks, man, but that's not the Lord. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and so I get on the plane, the Lord said to me, that was me. 
And I'm like, how is that you? My dad's got a church on Sunday. I, you, Lord, you know, I don't want to do Sunday cookie cutter church. Like I, I, I helped on my dad's worship team. So I said, if it's you, you got to tell my dad. So I land, my dad comes to me, said, son, I had a dream. And I said, of course you did. And he said, in the dream, I was driving a car and pushing the gas to the floor and the car's just not going faster. And he said, and I see a car coming behind me and it's fast. And he said, and I look in my rearview mirror and you're the one driving it. And the Lord spoke to me, if I don't change lanes, I'm gonna stop what, I, what God wants to do. My brother is with him. My brother, my older brother had just been installed as the senior pastor of his church a month before this. So they're both sitting there and they said, the Lord spoke to us, we're stepping aside. You're gonna start resignation and we're gonna come and serve what God wants to do. When your brother just became senior just pastor. Just became senior pastor and he's still serving and he did it for no money in the beginning. So you think to yourself, like, I don't wow. see that. And I'm like begging them, don't do this, you know? And, and because my dad did that, there was a seed that was in his kids. His inherit. see your kids will either be your Powerful. replacement or they'll be your inheritance. And I think to the older generation, like when I minister, sometimes some of the older generation, they're like, well, what about us? You're only talking about a younger generation. That proves that your heart is wrong and that you have a seed of religion in you because if it was actually biblical and of the kingdom, you would want your kids to go further than you. You would want Amen. them to be your inheritance, but you've made them your replacement, which has caused you to compete with them, right? Amen. And so there's this aspect I feel like we've so lost in the church that my kids better be more anointed than me or I haven't done a good job. <laughs> they better go beyond me. And so there was a seed inside of me that my dad identified that my blessing is in him. My dad got a word from John Wimber in the 80s. And it's a really intense word. The word was, you'll be crucified in your time. Your generation won't receive you. But there's coming a generation after you that if you overcome, they'll receive you. And he's like, thanks, John. Super encouraging, you know? Today, that's that's our- prophecy right there. That's, that's it, like real prophecy. <laughs> yeah. Our biggest turnouts, our biggest response the most anointed, powerful service we've ever had is when my dad's preaching and they call him Sido, which means grandfather in Arabic and because we're Middle Eastern. And, and so when they come and they, they're shouting Sido and he is received by this generation, what he didn't realize is his blessing was in being a father to his kids. So now I can come to him and I'm receiving from a field that I didn't, I didn't plow and didn't sow. And that's, that's the kingdom. That's the father sent the son. He said, when you see my son, you've seen me. Mm-hmm. I mean, he could have he could have come in any form he wanted, but he sent his son. And then he tells the whole world that he will be seated on the throne and I will make all of my enemies his footstool. Mm. What Jesus wanted or what God wanted to the father would show off as his son. But you can have the same action with two different motives and you don't even know the difference because a lot of people leave a lot of inherit like they like we talked with Keenan on the pod before a righteous man leaves an inheritance for generations. I mean, that's not of that's not a foreign thought to the society we have today. It's like, leave money to your kids, get rich. Yeah. But the problem is, is we're getting rich and leaving things to our children yeah. for our own satisfaction, not True. for their well-being, That's right. for them to go farther. So we feel good about ourselves and we have something to right. do. And I, I think of that scripture as also a spiritual inheritance, right? Of it's course. not just money. You know what I mean? It's not just monetary value. Um, but I, I was also going to say just like, I think, you know, your dad also, it's a picture of, that's what a, being an apostle actually looks like is paving the way. And then the next generation receives what you were paving the way yeah. for eventually. So, yeah. And most people, when they hear apostle, they go like this today, even though it says in the new Testament that the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets today, we just build the church on shepherds. 
and teachers. We don't because we don't understand apostles and prophets. Unpack it for us if you don't mind. Because apostles are not the guy with the big hat on that's above everybody. They're actually the foundation that everybody walks on. Usually they're not seen. Usually they're rejected. Usually they're misunderstood. And this is what they do is, is they go into territory. For my dad, the territory he went into was revelation. Like I'm not talking about the book of revelation. I'm talking about he came into this revelation where at the time he is talking about who we are in Christ. People were picketing outside of our church when I grew up. And today a generation is like, of course we believe that. You know, so he fought this battle, rejected, but apostolically continued on and overcame. And now we're walking on a foundation that he laid. That's the true apostolic. You're not at the top, you're at the bottom. So authority, because it's been abused, we have, that's my kids, by the way. Um, because we've been, because authority has been abused, we have, we've just neglected it altogether, just like healing just like prophecy, you know how many times pro the prophetic has been abused and it's just divination, manipulation, but that doesn't mean I stopped prophesying because yeah. man messed it up. No, it's in the scriptures, you know? And so authority, I heard someone say it like this, it's like fire, you know, it can warm you and your family by a nice cozy fireplace. It could also kill you and your whole family. Mm -hmm. And I think when it's, when it's done within the boundaries of scripture, right? And the heart, like you said, is right. That it's, it's really not about monetary value at all. I mean, that's good. But even the parable of the talents is not about money. I know it says that on the heading, but Jesus didn't leave a bag of money for the disciples. I didn't get a million dollars to start a church. That would have been great. But the Lord said, do it. And usually this testimony is you got nothing to do it with, you know? And so what did he leave us? He left us his glory. The glory you've given me, I've given them. And so how do we manifest the kingdom in the earth if we aren't willing to start in our own house? And then it's not just in your house, it's in what God calls you to lead and father. And so I think it comes down to this one thing. When authority is done right, we'll see God-centered churches fill the earth. When mm -hmm. authority is done wrong, you'll see man-centered churches fill the earth. And that's the biggest problem we have today is I see more about the man. I see his name and I see his brand that he's built more than I've seen Jesus. And to be honest with you, I don't even hear them talking about Jesus when they preach. You're coming up to people now. They're, the people getting convicted uh, now. So I, <laughs> I, I, and I look at it this way. There's a lot of places I feel like they're prodding some, some of Jesus, prodding Jesus, basically. Give us your, give us your, you know, you know, let me catch something you drop when, you, when we prod you, right? And that's what preaching to man's heart really is like, you know, and not preaching to God's heart. And then, Obviously, when you're preaching to God's heart, what are you doing, actually? I mean, that's what is, that is the fulfillment for man is to actually know God's heart anyway, so. Yeah. Preaching from a plate, bro. I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to think about what you just said for a while because I've been thinking, I don't have the words to elaborate on it now, yeah, but that's a good point that's you made. That's really good. Um, you were talking about the church authority. Do you want to unpack the statement you always make of the Western church need res needs reformation? I would love to, yeah. And, uh. <laughs> In the early, um, early 1900s, well, no, I think it was the 1800s, but anyway, someone will correct me on that in the comments, but the story remains true. Um, Martin Luther walks up, you know, to the church in Germany and he's got 95 theses in his hand. He's nailing them to a door at the time. Uh, you know, there was to get saved. The, the doctrine then was that you had to go to your priest you had to pay money after confessing your sin. And the amount of money was based on the sin that you committed. So you'd pay money. And if you did all those things, you were saved. 
there was no reading of the scriptures. The Bible wasn't even translated um, in any other language um, other than that region of the world. And, and you had to go to the priest to hear God for anything. You couldn't have your own encounter, your own. If you came up with anything on your own, you were wrong, exiled. Martin Luther had the courage in that time to walk up to the door of the church with 95 theses and nailed to the door, um, getting back to the word and the biblical truth. So it started a rebellion in a sense, and I'm not trying to start a rebellious movement, but in a sense, you know, we preach a lot, say yes to Jesus, say yes, but everything you say yes to, you're saying no to something else. And we have to begin to identify uh, that the indefinition of insanity is just do the same thing over and over again and expect a different result. And as much as I've, I love the local church, I have a local church, but I think we've turned it more into synagogues than we have the model of the temple. And he's not rebuilding a synagogue in the earth. He's rebuilding the tabernacle of David. And so in Acts 15, mm. and so this one man had this courage to start the Protestant Reformation, which led to people beginning to seek and question the religion of the day and the religious leaders. Well, ultimately this led to people fleeing from Germany to Britain and um, they were called Puritan separatists. That led to 102 people getting on the Mayflower coming to the US. And so we wouldn't be here today if one dude didn't walk up to a door and bang 95 thesis on a door and start a reformation. And in many ways, I think when I'm talking about a reformation, I don't think of course we're not, we're not that bad, but we always are wanting revival and I love revival and we want, we want yeah. revival to come. Um, we go after that. We, pr we pray for, for these things, but revivals have really been these like three to five year crazy moves of God. They've been amazing his influence, but David's desire wasn't to just bring God into his city. And then, and then the visit is done. The desire was, I want to build a house for you. And so in my opinion, the reformation needs to take place in the church is in our time. In that time, it was, you can't get saved unless you pay money. Okay, thank God it's not that anymore. But I think in our day, it's the subtle thing of we've built church more for men than we've built it for him. Mm -hmm. And that that little thing right there in Matthew chapter nine, Jesus is, he says, he goes, he went to, it says that he went to all the synagogues in all the cities in their synagogues. You'll never find anywhere in the New Testament that he identifies with the synagogue. It's all, and that was his people. But he said their synagogue, he goes and preaches in their thing. And says there's synagogues all over the city. And he said, but what he saw was people rejected, confused, like sheep without a shepherd. In our day, this would be the language, churches on every corner, lost, people confused, rejected, like sheep without a shepherd, right? And then he goes on and he says, red letters, for the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Pray to the Lord of the harvest that he send out laborers, right? It is about evangelism, but the context of that part of the Bible is about what the church has become, mm. right? And so if you study a synagogue model of church, the Israelites were taken captive by Babylon, right? For yeah. 70 years. When they're taken captive by Babylon, they lose the Ark of the Covenant and the temple is destroyed. So you get to the book of Ezra and Nehemiah and they're allowed to come back. They start rebuilding the wall. They start rebuilding the temple. And in Nehemiah, he stands up 
in front of the children of Israel that had come back and he begins to read the Torah on the Sabbath day about noon. They built him a pulpit. You just read it in the scriptures. And he begins to read the Torah. They all weep and cry because their lives don't line up with it. Well, this scholars would say was the beginning of synagogues, that this is what took place and it was the arise of synagogues. Well, you, you got to realize the arise of synagogues was based on the loss of the glory and the destruction of the temple. So this continues on and continues on because mm. there's nowhere in the Old Testament that he tells them to build a synagogue, right? And right. so Jesus shows up to a system that is man-made, right? And then he says, when they cast you out of the synagogues, in the book of Revelation, this is intense, but he says it. In the book of Revelation, he identifies, be careful of the synagogue of Satan, right? And so he says, when they cast you out, like he's, Jesus is not happy, but he goes and stands on a rock and he says, but upon this rock, the revelation of Jesus Christ, I will build my church, my ecclesia, which that word ecclesia in that time was not a nice word. It was like, I'm going to build my gang, the misfits, the called up, the ones that don't fit in the synagogues. That's who I'm going to build my church with. And so the model of the temple was the priests would go in, they would minister to the Lord right? They would sacrifice, there was sacrificial worship, the cloud would come. The barometer was, did he come, right? The synagogue, it was sacrificial worship. It was about reading the Torah and community, good things. And today church is about community and you better be a word church, right? But sacrificial worship, if you're, if you talk to most, okay, I'm, I want to be nice. If you talk to some leaders, right? About we, because, we, you know, church growth, can't be more than an hour and a half because you're not going to grow your church, right? Mm -hmm. um, my uncle would say, we rush in and out of God's presence, insulting his glory and wonder why there's no power. So so we have this, this model today that's, let's get him in and out. Let's just make it quick, right? And the area that they cut is worship. So the part that's about the Lord. And prayer too. And prayer. They cut, I mean, Jesus is flipping tables saying, this has become a house of merchandise and it's a house of prayer. How many churches are praying? You know, and I'm not trying to, like, people always think I'm bashing the bride. I'm not bashing the bride. We're, we're trying to find her. It's correction. It's loving, lovingly calling out. You call it whatever you want, but we've got to find the bride, yeah. you know? Yeah. And at some point, a generation's got to stand up like Martin Luther did and say, what we're doing isn't working. And people in the world aren't exactly running into churches, right? And that's why we have separation between church and state, right? Which is not biblical. And so we should be, I mean, if 12 men, cause Rome to fall to their knees. Like we've got millions of people. They like what they saw in three and a half years, they flipped nations upside down. All of Asia heard the gospel. We've had them for 2000 years and we haven't accomplished nearly as much as they did. And they had them for three. And so there's, we've got to stop, look at ourselves and go, is there something that we can change? Is there something mm -hmm. that needs to change? And I'll tell you, if you, if you just kind of look around in the West, you see a synagogue model. You see in and out community word, but not a lot of sacrificial worship. And the barometer is, did the how many people were there? I mean, I can't remember the last time I met a pastor, maybe a couple have not said this, but most of them are like, so how many people you run on a Sunday? Why does that matter? You know, like, I don't know how many people are in our church. I maybe have an idea because I know how many seats are in there, but like, I don't have, I don't have a list with this many members on it. I have no idea. And and again, I'm not trying to say like we've figured anything out. I just really want us to go back to the Bible. And so today it's how much money do you have? What, how many followers do you have? What's your Instagram look like? 
your YouTube. And we, and we call that fruit, even though the biblical model of fruit is that which is connected to your tree. People in Brazil are not connected to my tree, right? And so there's, a, there's just this, it's become about numbers. We call people tithing units today. Like there's a problem with that, you know? Wow. But when it should be about actually, did the Lord come? Was he pleased and was he ministered to? If four people came or not, the barometer of success was what the, was the cloud there in delight. Amen. And so I always point to First Chronicles 13 through 15. David has a good desire. Like people come to church with sincere hearts, like zealous hearts. So many churches so pure. The leaders are so pure. We just, the scriptures say, how will you know unless there's a preacher? And I think people just haven't had the courage to stand up and say it, to be honest. But they come sincere. They come with, with good, zealous hearts. David had a good heart in First Chronicles 13. And he wanted to bring the glory into the city. And it says he inquired of the people. He didn't inquire of God. He inquired of the people, right? And they put the ark on a cart pulled by oxen and they start bringing it into the city quick and easy. You know, let's make it as easy and simple. Don't be too intense. Let's bring it into the city, right? Well, it stumbles at the threshing floor, which represents the place of judgment where God comes and he tests it like he does us. The ark begins to fall, Uzzah touches it, and he dies. David doesn't understand why they send it to the house of Edom. Chapter 15, David must have had an encounter with God because he said, in chapter 15, he said, because we didn't follow the proper order, Uzzah died. And you've watched these significant changes that they make. They take the ark off of the cart, they put it on the shoulders of a priesthood. And they go from just making noise in worship in chapter 13 to it says they found a skillful worshiper, which means they that word is discerning in Hebrew. So they found one that knew what he liked, that knew what moved his heart. They weren't just singing songs. We were so horizontal today. And the Reformation is let's get back to vertical. I mean, I, I can't, I struggle with worship songs that are about me because I don't worship me, you know? And so chapter 15, he makes these changes. And the most significant thing is they stopped every six steps. They put the ark down and they sacrificed in worship. And that God, and, and this man threw a tabernacle, he threw a tent up and put the glory inside of it. And the Lord said, that's the one I'm gonna rebuild in the earth. He's not trying to start more synagogues and nobody starts a church. Jesus started a church. We just join it. And I believe the reformation has to go from being man-centered and what, what is good for them to God-centered. Luke seven, the woman comes busting in with oil and the Pharisees are mad at her. And they say, if he knew what kind of woman this was. And he said, you didn't have oil for me. You didn't have water for me. She hasn't stopped kissing me. You haven't kissed me one time. And, and think about it today as a pastor, pastors are discouraged and depressed because people come in, fill me with empty cups when we should all come in with oil. You imagine what take place in a room if the point wasn't yep. for me to receive something, but I actually had that alone when I was in my closet. Yep. But the point was to come and all of us together come with jars of oil to pour in the Lord, what's gonna happen? We're gonna see healing. We're gonna see community. Like I'm not against, of course we preach the word. Of course there's community, but you can't love people unless you love them most. And there's only two types of ministry, according to Ezekiel 44, those in his chamber and those on the outer court. And I think we've settled for the outer court ministry because that's where the people are. The chamber though, that's a minute, that's a lonely ministry, but you're saying, God, you are enough. Amen. And so we say we worship him until he comes. And when he comes, may we sing you will forever be enough. That's, in my opinion, the reformation needs to take place is we need to go from quick and easy, all about the people to slow and sacrificial again about Jesus. Amen. Yeah, and, and that's something I look at is 
am is my heart when I go it because it, it's just little little verbiage like man just I don't feel like the pastor fed me today I don't, I don't feel like uh, I was given I'm like you you go to church to provide value not to suck value out right right you have the Lord in so you good, you're supposed to carry it to church right um so yeah I mean we go back and rewatch the last 10 minutes of that reformation right there like that was good dude like that was that was it's pretty life, far it's all life changing man jeez i um i feel like this is a good point to kind of wrap up but i kind of want to wrap it up with a testimony i uh i feel like one of your things that you say a lot like i've watched your sermons you're kind of preparing and stuff is like you say things that are going to offend people you always say that like this is going to offend somebody right and like <laughs> and like that's like people are going to be offended naturally by some things um that people say and when i look at my progression over the last three years i was probably one of those people at one point that you would say some things and i would be offended by them <laughs> and now you're on the podcast you know what i'm saying so the, the testimony i want to say is um i was reading psalm 17 recently and there's there's so much more deeper into the word i can go but recent i haven't had that I mean like revelations recently right but like recently I was reading Psalm 17, it was talking about the shadow of your wings. And I had never heard that term. Mm. Shadow of your wings and dwelling underneath the shadow of your wings. And the only term, two terms I heard for presence were like the pillar of fire, you know, the, the cloud, right? But I had never heard shadow being attributed to presence. And then the first, like five minutes into preparing for your podcast, I come across a sermon of you talking about the shadow and your Levite sermon. Um, how and you can probably say it better than me but like we're under the shadow and no one no one can be saved by your shadow yeah they're going to be overcome by the shadow that you're under and i was just like because that i mean what does shadow mean and then six hours before i i saw that sermon i was like wow shadow and then five minutes into print i mean i don't like think about coincidences very coincidences very often but i think that was impactful for me and then um I think you're a man of God and I think you are chasing up the Lord with everything in you. I think you're leading up people who are, who are going after the Lord with everything they have. And, um, though things may be challenging sometimes for people to hear, I think at a baseline level, we need to honor the people who are chasing after God. And if you come from it with that perspective, then if you're challenged, then it's not bitterness. It's let me, what is he saying? Let me understand. Let yeah. me learn yeah. versus responding in bitterness yeah. so thanks man i appreciate it sometimes i leave on sunday and i'm like gosh you're so intense <laughs> and then when i sit with people they're like hey you're not that intense and honestly yeah because cedo comes up the next week bro, and they're like wait a second <laughs> cedo is more intense than i am <laughs> but more. listen i here's my thing the first one i heard i was like <laughs> I, mean, I was all for <laughs> I, i'm all for what you're saying but i was like dude there's there's gotta a, be a couple people in here that are oh, like oh yeah. no dude we get emails all the time and stuff and, and here's the thing we're not trying to trying to offend anyone. I just think we've we we cater to people's feelings at the cost of their their soul. Amen. And if we really love people, we'll tell them the truth. Amen. And the way that gold is made is it's beaten, it's refined. It it has to be formed in fire. Jesus said in Revelation chapter 3, I counsel you to buy gold by refined in the fire, buy it from me. And so there's there's something to be said about our heart is never to 
cause anybody to want to leave or be offended or anything like that. Like our heart burns for, I want people to fully come into who they're called to. And sometimes you gotta, you gotta, you know, he told Jeremiah root out, tear down because you can't build a house on top of another one. You have to demolish one, get back to the foundation and start to build. And he says, and then build and plan. And I just think again, because we have the fear of man and we have church built around man, we aren't willing to say something because God forbid somebody leave our church because our identity is how many people there are, right? But when you get free from that, you can actually fully love man without any manipulation in your heart that's saying, I'm not preaching to you because I need your tithing unit. I'm preaching to you because I really want you to be free. And that might offend some religion that's veiling you. And I don't claim to know it all, bro. I, I feel like I always invite the Lord to offend me with any, my dad lives to offend me. You know, <laughs> like I remember one time he came up to me and I had like, we had just moved into the lifestyle building and he took me on a drive because he noticed I was getting a little too soft. And he said, son, your fog machines and skinny jeans ain't cutting it. We need the power of God. Too much talk and not enough power. And I was like so convicted, but that's why we need fathers, Amen. you know? So our heart is, is to love people, but love them in truth and not, not just cater to their feeling and tickle their ears, you know? Amen. Well, uh, thank you for coming on again, brother. It was fun. Um, Risen Nation Church, anybody in Fort Worth? come to it or Keller or this is Keller technically close enough yeah close enough yeah, so, thanks guys um, yeah thanks for coming on and we play, pray this blesses you send it to a friend um, we pride ourselves being a Christian podcast and resource um, so share this with some people and we'll see you in the next video God bless